Welcome to Level to Level, a podcast exploring video games one level at a time. My name is Corey Pike, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Justin Burquist. Borgiorno. How's everything going? Uh, you know, it's going well. Yourself? Uh, it's been a good couple weeks. Nice. A good couple weeks of gameplay. Beautiful. Uh, you've been playing any Apple Arcade? I have, actually. Actually, I have uh, beat two games, which I'm pretty proud of. I was obsessed with the Bleak Sword. I don't know. Have you get, did you get to play it? Not yet. Okay. What have you been playing? Well, so let's hang on to that. We're going to get it where I think we're going to do a, another bonus episode right. yeah, of yeah. Uh, of our thoughts on Apple Arcade. Um, I've been playing a few of the games and uh, and I've had mixed results on it, but we'll we'll talk about that. Sure. So that's something for people to look forward to. So as always, what we're doing is playing through Play Dead's Limbo. We're meeting back here every couple weeks to talk about it. Before we get into the plot synopsis, uh, Justin, I wanted to talk to you about the upcoming PlayStation 5. Oh, yeah. They announced details, right? So they uh, announced that it's going to launch holiday 2020. Mm. Um, Do you have a PS4? I do. A Pro. Xbox, PS4 Pro, and you don't have a Switch. I do not have a Switch. I have yet to capitulate to Nintendo's. So you've got a year. So you've got a year until the um, the PS5 comes out. Do you think you're going to be in the market? Uh, maybe I don't think I'm going to be there at launch day, but uh, maybe. I mean, I, I feel like I did buy the PlayStation Pro on a whim because I think I had. I, you know, I mean, the, the thing I love about this podcast is it's kind of forcing me to go get back into games and. Um, because I think I had a PlayStation, then I I got rid of it because I was just like I don't I don't really play anymore, and then on a whim, my buddies were like. Oh, we got to play this game or that game, and so I got a PlayStation Pro. So I guess they're revamping the controllers. I don't know if you heard about that. Oh yeah, I heard that the buttons are more. Uh, what do you want to call them? Like uh, they're more so, sensitive. So like, they're supposed to have resistance on them instead of just being a, a right on or off switch. It's supposed to have like a. So you can press it halfway, and it. Does I think something so. And, That's the impression that I got. And another right. thing about it is, um, instead of the. Uh, what do they call it? The thunder, the little rumbling. Oh yeah. Um, it's going to be a haptic feedback now, like sort of on your on your phone. Oh right. Um, it's going to be that little buzzing. I guess. Yeah, I remember when the iPhones they had the button and it was a rumble, but then they changed it to haptic feedback, right? So I'm looking forward to that. I think that'll be cool in a controller. Yeah, I. Uh, it sounds interesting. At least, I mean, a part of me is like, oh, like I. I mean, I don't know how old you feel. I mean, this one thing I like like about playing uh, Limbo is there's so few buttons to worry about. <laughs> But now, you know, I'm playing like my buddies. We got Ghost Recon, the new Ghost Recon, and we've been playing it. And there's just so many buttons. And sometimes I just forget. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's going to be more buttons on the PlayStation 5. I'm uh, I don't know if I'll I, I'm like you. I don't think I'll get it on launch, but I'll probably get it a little while later because I just got my PS4 last year. Um, so I haven't had it through its full life cycle, mm. um, but I've been enjoying it. So the PS5. Um, I'm assuming there'll be a pro model, which if I get one, it's going to be the pro model. Um, just because if I if I get a console, I want it to be the best that's out there. Yeah, um, I don't. Well, I think what they do is it's a marketing strategy where they'll they'll put out the PlayStation Five, and then a year later, oh, at Christmas we've got the PlayStation Five Pro. Sort of and like you, they did with the Nintendo Switch and the yeah, Nintendo Lite. Totally. Well, and yeah. I think that's the way that the life cycle of the PlayStation Five Four and the of the Xbox One. Because then they did the One X, and I think that was a couple years after the Xbox One came out. But no, a lot of that, a lot of the systems, like the big systems like PlayStation or Xbox for me are spurred by my buddies who don't live here near me. So 
a lot of our socializations happened over, you know, online play. And so, you know, if they're, they're all playing some game on Xbox, the next Xbox or next PlayStation, it might encourage me to buy it. You know, will you get the next uh, generation of Xbox? I uh, maybe uh, it depends. I mean, I, I know my buddies are all going to get the new Halo and, uh, you know, I, they're all playing on multiplayer. It's like I can't be left out, you know, FOMO. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to. It's just flashbacks to high school. Justin, you've been doing a little reading. I have. Yeah. No, I uh, I accidentally started reading uh, Snowden's, I guess, are they memoirs or autobiography? Mm-hmm. And in it, there was a sequence I read that I really enjoyed that was about video games. And I thought, oh, maybe I, sh- I shared on the podcast. So um, this is, I think, I think it's the first ch- chapter, maybe the second. But um, I'll, I'll just go ahead and read it. Uh, it was the NES, the janky but genius 8-bit Nintendo Entertainment System. That was my real education. From The Legend of Zelda, I learned that the world existed to be explored. From Mega Man, I learned that my enemies have much to teach. And from Duck Hunt, well, Duck Hunt taught me that even if someone laughs at your failures, it doesn't mean you get to shoot them in the face. Ultimately, though, it was Super Mario Brothers that taught me what remains perhaps the most important lesson of my life. I am being perfectly sincere. I am asking you to consider this seriously. Super Mario Brothers, the 1.0 edition, is perhaps the all-time masterpiece of side-scrolling games. When the game begins, Mario is standing all the way to the left of the legendary opening screen. And he can only go in one direction. He can only move to the right, as the new scenery and enemies scroll in from that side. He progresses through eight worlds of four levels each, all of them governed by time constraints, until he reaches the evil Bowser and frees the captive Princess Toadstool. Throughout all 32 levels, Mario exists in front of what in gaming parlance is called an invisible wall, which doesn't allow him to go backwards. There is no turning back, only going forward. For Mario and Luigi... For me and for you, life only scrolls in one direction, which is the direction of time. No matter how far we might manage to go, that invisible wall will always be just behind us, cutting us off from the past, compelling us on into the unknown. A small kid growing up in a small town, North Carolina in the 1980s, has to get a sense of mortality from somewhere. Some why not from two Italian immigrant plumber brothers with an appetite for sewer mushrooms. How was it? So it's interesting how gaming and playing video games can affect the other things in your life outside of just playing video games. Yep. No, it's, uh, I mean, it's an interesting concept that, you know, because it's, it makes you think of life as a game in a way and, you know, trying to win. And I think it's just you deciding how you win and your perspective on it. And uh, I don't know. I thought it was nice. I picture one of those things like... uh, Everything I learned in life, I learned from video games. Have you seen like that? Oh, no. Um, oh, but are like memes kind of in a way? Kind of a meme, okay. yeah. Everything I, everything I ever needed to learn, I learned in video games. So um, I could see that. Um, it's interesting about the uh, time only moving in one way because that is indeed how things work. Yep. So. Oh, yeah. No, it was a tragedy kind of in the way of speaking. And now he's, you know, I mean, whether you're, whatever your political affiliations are, it's, uh, it's rough. Uh, I wish I had a joke right now. <laughs> a joke? Yeah, well, to cut through the uh, kind of, uh, how do I put it, philosophical, somber kind of re- reflection of time taking us in one direction. Well, you know, when I was growing up with video games, um, I grew up kind of before um, 
the narrative was a real strong aspect of it. Like on the Atari 2600, you had sort of the the basis of the game, but it wasn't real story driven. It was you're riding around a spaceship and defender, um, shooting enemies. You're uh, you're swinging over alligators in Pitfall. Um, you're chomping dots in Pac-Man, but there wasn't real there wasn't a real story involved. Mm. So it's just interesting that somebody from a kind of a younger generation grew up with with this being a purely narrative art form. Yeah. Well, and I, I think just think he was using it as a way to frame through the video game, uh, you know, commenting on, I guess, existence. Yeah. And life. Okay, so with that being said, you want to go ahead and move into the plot synopsis? Please. Okay, so once again, as of this point, there's going to be spoilers. We've been playing through the game in the last couple weeks, and we're going to discuss it. So you're just warned that spoilers are to follow. You stand at the bottom of a giant, slowly turning cog or gear. Riding it to the other side and overcoming a series of obstacles, you find yourself at another pair of gears. Enabling these causes the ground to start to tilt under your feet. Thinking quickly, you must maneuver yourself through a series of traps until the world stops turning. You are led to a box held in place by a giant magnet. Solving this riddle, you find yourself at another lever which begins the turning of the earth once more. While the world turns, you must overcome various obstacles such as boulders, spinning buzz saws, and electrified floors. Entering a darkened area, you find a glowing butterfly. This butterfly leads you to the silhouette of a young girl. You approach her, but before you can reach her, a brain worm enters your skull and you are once again forced to walk in the opposite direction. When the worm finally reverses direction, you find that the girl was just an illusion, and instead you are faced with industrial presses intent on crushing you. After a few more obstacles to include the presses, riding in an abandoned mine shaft, more boulders, and more electrified floors, you find yourself at a complicated contraption in which a pair of motion-sensitive machine guns wait to mow you down. Justin, as Carol King said, I feel the earth move under my feet. Oh, that was good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I really like the... Uh, I for- I'd forgotten about these switches that you flip and all of a sudden the world just spins... Uh, it was it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, it's uh, I really like how they're continuing to find new and interesting ways to uh, to interact with this world, um, because, you know, we've been playing this thing over six, seven episodes now. And each few checkpoints we play, it feels like we've got new mechanics and new physics um, that is leading to more challenges. Yeah, no, I like how I noticed. I don't know if you know, it's a little tiny detail, but. Whenever you flip the the lever uh, to start the world spinning, whatever direction the, the the lever goes in, that's the direction the world goes in. So if you pull it, it flips back. You know, if you pull it back towards you, or if you push it forward, the world flips towards. It. I was like, oh, that's you know, they obviously put a lot of thought into every little piece of this game. So whichever way you can, whichever way you can push the lever, yeah, that's the direction it. in which the world turns. Yeah. Ah, okay, I gotcha. Yeah. No, I didn't notice that. Yeah. So uh, I know you had gotten stuck on a portion. So I made it all the way through these checkpoints. But, you know, like I've been saying, I play through it a few times um, just to get the plot synopsis and to prepare for the uh, to prepare for the show. And there was that portion where um, there's those two cogs that are um, 
going in different directions. Yeah. And you got to press, you got to pull that lever to sort of make it stop, and then it starts to turn in the opposite direction. Yeah. But then you have to click it again um, for it to, and you and you got to run over to that cog, climb up, and then jump over to the. Uh, and there's other a bit cog. of a de- delay whenever you pull it. So. I didn't like it because, well, first of all, oh, it you took didn't me, like the puzzle. Well, I didn't. No, I didn't. Um, <laughs> I guess you were frustrated. So it got me a little frustrated because to me it felt like luck. And I just don't think a puzzle should make you feel that way. It shouldn't feel like luck. It should feel like, okay, I know th- I know what needs to be done, so let me do it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Um, I didn't have as much trouble, but I it did take me, I don't know how long it took me, but um, I mean, like, were you stuck on it for a long time? I don't remember being stuck in it when I first played through it because I made it through it. Um, at least a couple times, but it just seems like when I was replaying it, every time I got to that part, um, I was like, oh man, here I'm again. Let me make sure I did it. And then, you know, when I was trying to do the plot synopsis, I ended up just pausing and loading the next checkpoint. No, I and I, I wonder if, because it's like we talk about these, you know, we've talked about puzzles a lot, and it's like if you know what you need to do and you can't somehow do it, and like you said, it starts to feel like luck, it's like the puzzle just becomes unrewarding in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I wonder what that that line is there, where it's frustrating and you know what you need to do, but in the end you're rewarded and you feel rewarded at the end of it. I really like the sequence we went through. I Because um, I remember being disappointed uh, when the spider, like the first time I played the game years ago, I remember being disappointed in the last half of the game because the spider was gone and it didn't feel like there was any memorable kind of moments that stuck with me at least but the spinning the world stuff is great the with the gears yeah i really enjoy. the gears are all right but i love it when you pull the thing and it's like you know oh there's a boulder and that once the world spins the boulder is going to roll out and it's going to crush you but if you time it right you can jump to it off the ledge to the other side and um yeah i'm i'm enjoying this still well, one thing one thing they add when the world starts to turn is there's that part where the where you're in that darkened hallway mm. or that darkened cavern. I don't know what you would call it, but everything's dark and yeah. there's that light that spins back oh, and yeah. forth. Yeah, yeah. And so the world is turning and you know that this boulder is going to bear down on you. Um, but you have to wait for that, you know, the light to go and you go, oh, there's a ladder yeah. there. So I thought that was a cool little you know, okay, we'll throw you a thread here so you're not just jumping in the dark. No, I love that. And uh, that kind of makes me think that, yeah, there was that sequence and then there was the mine car, like we were in the almost like the mine shaft you had mentioned, mm-hmm. um, where lighting was used pretty cool. And like there's that sequence like where you're talking about where you're only, the only lighting source is that um, industrial kind of light above you that's being pulled by, I guess, the gravity. I, I'm still kind of unsure of the physics of how this works because it's like, you know, you pull the thing and the world spins. And I don't know if that's gravity changing, but the light is moving with you and it's lighting new elements of the level as you're going. And so, you, you know, the first time I did it, I didn't realize, oh, I'm supposed to jump from this cliff to this other portion of the level. And so I got crushed and, uh, and I was like, oh, the light kind of reveals later on, you know, so you kind of have to like wait as it. Um, yeah, I really liked it. And then the mine car is great because basically the only light you have besides complete darkness is the headlamps on the 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 minecart. Mm-hmm. And so there's a part where you have to jump up on a ledge and run along with the uh the cart and there's a buzzsaw waiting for you. Yes, there's a buzzsaw. And you have to time the jump over the buzzsaw back into the minecart. And it's great. It's great. And yeah. Some of these sequences what's cool about it is it walks that fine line between, you know, there's a time element to it like 
eventually the boulder is going to start rolling down on you. Yeah. But at the same time, you have to be patient because you got to wait for the world to turn to a certain point where you can make that jump to make that ladder. Yeah. Um, so it kind of just walks that fine line between a time element and a patience element. Yeah. And you kind of got to do both. So I, I found that was a pretty effective um, little sequence. Yeah, that's funny. No, thinking of the Snowden uh, little section right at the beginning. Like, oh, yeah, it teaches you perseverance, teaches you. Games do teach you a lot of life kind of values, I think. And not to be anxious and to, you know, just go with the flow of the, of the game. And, um, yeah, because if you jump ahead, if you're like, oh, I got to, you know, this thing is spinning, you, you're probably going to end up dead. Um, but what I really like, too, is that what I didn't mention about the, the lighting sequence with the minecart is uh, you're above the minecart as it's driving and... All you see are your eyeballs in the uh, like glowing, I guess, and so it's just pitch black. But you know where you are because your eyes are lit, and uh, it was great. I I'm actually surprised they haven't used lighting. Um, you know, it's it's there more for mood. It seems like most of the time, um, but these couple sequences seem like they use lighting in gameplay ways. I'm actually sh- I, yeah, thinking about it, I'm kind of shocked they haven't used because that you know the whole noir German expressionism. Um, light and darkness kind of thing going on yeah it seems like there might have been more um you know tricks and they could have pulled um, but uh, yeah i love these couple sequences we're talking about so we come across this girl oh yes. now yeah. i know Sister, right i well see that's the thing is right. i know like the 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 phrase from the beginning of the game that you're supposed to know as a player right, right. is unsure of a sister's fate a boy enters limbo so I'm guessing you've played it through, but I haven't. So I'm guessing this is the sister. Right. Um, and you're right there. Um, so you, like I, I thought I was winding down the game at that point, um, which was cool because, you know, you're right there. And then all of a sudden that worm or slug yep. embeds itself into your head. And you're like, oh, I was just I was almost there. And then you, it, it takes you in one direction and it fizzes out and then it moves you in the other direction. You realize that that girl wasn't even there right you know it was well was she or was she not because i know we're in this kind of uh i mean we're in limbo right Mm -hmm. so it's like we're in this other dimension where i guess weird stuff like that can happen Mm -hmm. Uh, but it is kind of the first time in the game where you know something was there and then it wasn't there right i mean i don't want to say what do you want to say uh um supernatural kind of happens right um so i i don't know if it was supposed to be a uh, um you know he hallucinated it or it was there and then it got you know, he got pulled back and then it, you know, that his sister like left. Um, so I don't know. It was, it was interesting. Well, when you go back, um, you know, when you first see her, it looks like she's kind of in a field with kind of like tall grass. Yeah. And then when you when the slug or the worm reverses a direction and you go back, that is all completely gone. It's now that um, yeah. those big presses with that uh, moving floor. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of the next obstacle that you have to face down. So I'm really interested in seeing on how they wrap this up. Um, and, and hopefully we find that girl again. Um, and this boy can find some closure. Well, that, that sequence too, um, you had talked about the butterflies or the moths or whatever that kind of, it's, it's really beautiful because you're like walking through this industrial area and, uh, you know, I think there's a, a light, another industrial light above you and it's just pitch black everywhere. And as you're walking, all of a sudden you see this butterfly flying ahead. And as you start walking towards the butterfly, uh, all of a sudden there's grass and you're walking through grass and it's kind of beautiful. And then all of a sudden you see uh, the girl who we presume to be your sister. Um, and as you approach, and of course, like next to the sister, there's a ladder. 
Um, and that, you know, it, it, it seems to be like, all right, if we're in limbo here, I don't know if that's supposed to be, you know, paradise or heaven, you know, that you can get up to, or you're basically ascending. And, uh, um, yeah, and then, of course, it's all yanked away. And it does it at just the right point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, we've been on this journey, and it seems like, oh, you're right there, like, oh, this is going to be the end of the game. And then you realize that there's quite a bit more of the game that needs to be played because once you go back all of that scene with her in the grass that's completely disappeared yeah and you find that this world continues going from left to right um so your your journey will continue yeah and it and it's interesting because it, there's that obvious juxtaposition where you're in again we're in this kind of industrial area and uh, um like it seems almost like that, that scene is idyllic you know, it's kind of uh, supposed to be like, oh, this is beautiful here. And you're out in the wilderness and it's in grass. And uh, so, yeah, he definitely doesn't or, you know, or the creator of the game seems to be like, oh, industrial stuff is a negative um, kind of in a way. So um, I was thinking about the cogs or those gears. Hmm. Um, and it's pretty interesting to think that you're just part you're just a small part in this huge machine. Um, that you kind of don't understand. Right. And as you're manipulating these cogs and writing over these cogs, you know what I thought of was uh, Modern Times. Oh, okay. With Charlie nice. Chaplin going yeah, through yeah, the yeah. gears. Yep. Um, so it's just kind of like you're this young boy, you know, lost amongst this industrialization um, that's sort of devoid of humanity. Totally. Um, and you're the kind of, you're the light, your eyes are the light of this world. Oh, yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Oh yeah, man. Um, so jumping back a little bit, uh, did you get the Easter egg? Okay, so that Easter egg. <clears throat> so it wasn't hidden, so I knew it was there. Right. Yeah. There's a ladder, and you're kind of like, okay, I, I could go up there. Okay, this was that part that I was telling you that I didn't like, where you have to move, you have to switch that lever to make those cogs move and kind of stop right at just the right point where you can mm-hmm. jump over and then you you climb up on one and then you jump over the other before they really start moving. So at one point I did get the A because I knew you could go back um, and then you ride you ride up that press. Um, and you run over and jump on that ladder. Yep. So I got it. Um, but each time I went through and replayed it, um, I was too focused on that part that I didn't like. So I just wanted to get through it. <laughs> right. Um, but there, the first time I went through, I did get the Easter egg. Okay. Did cool. you? I did. I did. I saw it, and I was wondering if I was had to double back. But then I realized, oh, this is actually a kind of a shortcut way, you know, to get hop up above the uh, the presses. And then you hop right into your favorite part of uh, Limbo with the two cogs. Two once, we're cogs. Do- once we're done with this, are you going to like go on the internet and find out if there was other eggs that you missed? I'm, I'm not that way. Um, I, yeah, probably not. Um, you? I probably won't. Um, well, you know what? I, I might just to, just to see what we missed. Yeah, I'm sure um, there's a bunch more. But it seems weird to me that we missed a bunch. You know what I might do is if we're going to do like a recap episode, um, what I might do is go on the Internet, um, do a Google search and find out what eggs were there and maybe find out how many we got and how many we missed. Yeah. And maybe we can kind of incorporate that. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Um, yeah, because I know it keeps track of how many eggs you've you've uh, discovered. Right. Because it actually has a title. And at least for mine, on because since I'm playing on the iPad, it, it says 
what the egg's called. And then uh, I think in my gamer profile list, oh, you got these eggs, these Easter eggs. See, mine, uh, I don't think it does that on the Switch. No. Okay. Because I, I find them, but it doesn't give me any sort of achievement. Mm. It just squashes the, the egg or whatever oh, it is. So um, I kind of noticed, and this is the first time that I've noticed this, um, there's a little bit of music. Yes. Yeah. So when I think back on playing this game, all I can think of is the sound design, like his footsteps, um, the sounds of this um, industrial plant that he's in, the sound of the cogs. Um, But this time I actually noticed that there was music. And so I kind of went through a few checkpoints, and there is music kind of through the thing. Usually it's at a cadence point like usually it's when you're in between obstacles Mm. in between major obstacles there'll be this kind of drone this um this music that sort of takes you from one obstacle to the next yeah like a tone almost Mm -hmm. in a way right i I noticed i mean because it i think in the sequence of checkpoints we played i think i noticed music three or four times where it played it was and it's this cool so i uh, it reminded me of um and i went back and researched uh, ambient music sure um, but it's this real kind of uh, mellow, these long tones. Um, and the uh, composer is uh, Martin Stig Anderson. Um, and I actually listened to quite a bit of the soundtrack on Spotify. Oh, for Limbo? For Limbo. Oh. Um, and it's actually pretty good, uh, especially if you're trying to relax or kind of do some work um, while you're listening to music. It's good. So there's a part of the music on Spotify called Rotating Room. And it's the only part that sort of kind of changes the rhythm of the music. And it kind of has a Trent Reznor feel, Mm. um, sort of like on the soundtrack to Seven or something like that, um, where it's this kind of industrial um, sort of disconcerting music. I was going to say, so, I mean, you said that uh, you found the music kind of relaxing. But like in my head, I just I thought like it was just going to be the noise of factories. And so you're saying that track actually had like music that well. Is it more sound effects than music? No, I mean, it's like a, it's like actual just ambient music. Mm. You know, so um, for instance, um, there's the music of Brian Eno. Oh yeah, and right. he has an album um, called uh, Ambient Volume Two: The Plateau of the Mirror. That's Brian Eno and Harold Budd from 1980, um, and it's the same kind of music. This sort of long tone, um, relaxing sort of just ambient music um, that sort of whisks you away and makes you. Uh, makes your mind kind of relax a little bit. And I think that's a good way of using it in this game is you don't want something kind of orchestral. Right. Like you don't want something too catchy. Right. Um, because it just wouldn't fit in with the with the feeling of the game. Right. So I think they picked the perfect music that sort of augments the experience and the journey that you're going on. Yeah, it just seems like this game is uh, obsessed with mood and tone. And that makes sense that the music wouldn't be like you said, orchestrated or, you know. Um, I noticed that uh, multiple times where the the tone played or the music uh, was when you would pull the switch that would, like, move the world. And I, I like, I, I was trying to figure out why they were doing that, and I guess it's kind of epic when you first time you do that and all of a sudden the world spins. Um, but I was wondering if it was kind of preparing you for this almost meeting with your sister. Um, other than that, you know, other than the awe of like, wow, you're, you know, moving the world. I was, I I couldn't understand why they would start playing the music then. Well, I think it's like you said, like it's the, it's, it marks a major occasion where, 
you know, up until now, you've been moving from basically left to right on a solid surface, but now all of a sudden, your world is being turned upside down. So I think to mark that occasion with this sort of moody music, I think works really well. Uh, yeah, maybe, Um, I wonder if that, you know, the, your world going upside down is also associated with your sister. Um, I don't know if maybe they were like, oh, the, you know, your world is flipped upside down, literally and figuratively. Um, yeah. So it uh, it feels like we're sort of uh, making our way through the last portions of the game, doesn't it? Yeah. You've played it all the way through. I haven't. So I'm really interested to see how they're going to wrap this whole thing up because they've they've created this world and they've created this boy that moves through it. And I'm just curious to know if they're going to be able to pull off a, a meaningful climax because, you know, we haven't had a lot of interaction with characters there's been no dialogue so there's been no the plot has been very shoestring um, as far as you just needing to go from one point to the other so i'm really curious to see how they're going to wrap it up and see if they can pull out a pretty um satisfying experience yeah i'm curious too because I, I know you're a big narrative believer it's like you know when we chat with about movies um, so I'm curious what you'll you'll think of it. Were you surprised when you came across uh, the the sister? Because like like you said, I've I've played it. Um, were you like, oh, you know, did you think, oh, maybe I'm beating the game? The thing is, I should have I probably should have been keeping more track of the checkpoints than you for the podcast because I've already played it. So you already know, oh, there's some more checkpoints after this. Um, so I feel like maybe I, you know, to your detriment, you know, there's more pet uh, checkpoints. Well, when I saw her, I did feel like, oh, this is going to be the wrap of the game. Oh, you did? Um, and so I was kind of I was kind of glad to see that because they did it in such a way that it was perfect where you're right there. You're like, yeah. OK, we're going to we're going to wrap this thing up. He finds her. And then at the last moment, you're forced to move yeah. the opposite direction. That so I pipe. think they I think they handled that very well. Um, but yeah, I, I knew there was more checkpoints coming up simply because, um, you know, when you go to the uh, pause screen, you can see how many, how much, uh, how much time is left in the game. But I guess other games are like that where they give you like a percentage yeah. of how you're, far you're through. So um, in a lot of games, it's, it's not a huge surprise of when you're um, going to be reaching the end. But, you know, I was thinking that's sort of like when you're reading a book. Like, you know where you are in it because you know how many pages are left. That's a good point. So yeah. if you if you're getting to the end of the book, you know, you can see the you can see the second half of the of the book getting thinner and thinner and thinner as you make your way through it. Well, it's funny, too, because, you know, I've flipped from uh, hardback, you know, paperback books to my Kindle. And uh, it says the percentage at the bottom of where I'm going. But that's kind of a recent occurrence, right? In games, I don't think back in the day they would tell you. Or I'm trying to think, what about Mario? Let's think of Mario. It's like one dash you know one level you're playing well yeah but you could see your you could see your way moving through the map sure yeah so how about we wrap it up there sure okay what we've been doing is playing through play dead's limbo we're going to play the next few checkpoints we're going to meet back here in a couple weeks to discuss it um we don't have a patreon account but if you wanted to help the show if you're listening to this we'd love if you give us a five-star review on itunes it really helps the show out with our ranking and it really helps people discover uh, our newest episodes so go ahead and subscribe leave a review um, and keep an eye out for our upcoming episodes if you'd like to follow the show on twitter we are at level to level show on twitter and instagram i am at underscore pikalele that's p-i-k-e-l-e-l-e on Twitter, Justin is at jburq1. That's J B 
U-R-Q-1. And with that, we'll see you next time. See y'all.